Every time a preacher wants to preach on a text, it's always a challenge uh, to look at different translations because each translation is trying to look at Scripture in a way that is faithful to the original words in ancient Greek or Hebrew from our Bibles. And it's always a bit of an art, and sometimes it's a bit of a science as well. Case in point, our Scripture today from Luke chapter 14 I really like how the message version tells this parable in common language, in language that we would understand that is just weighted enough to get a sense of what Jesus was really doing when he interrupted this dinner meal. And so we read from Luke chapter 14, verse 1, 7 through 14. One time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal, with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees. All their guests had their eyes on him, watching his every move. He went on to tell a story to the guests around the table, noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor. He said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come out and call in front of everyone, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man. Red-faced, you'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Then he turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who will never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, open our ears to hear your word. Open our minds so that we can understand. And open up our hearts to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, on this journey of life, in my short time on this earth, I've learned eating with many, many families for many, many walks of life, that every family has their own way that they do family dinners and gatherings. Whether better or for worse, every family has their own system. Every family has their own way of doing things. When you have large family gatherings, how does your family do a meal? How do they gather? Do they do it around breakfast? Do they do it around lunch or dinner or maybe late at night? Perhaps this Labor Day weekend, your family 
is having a get-together or friends for a meal, for a cookout. Who's there in your family gatherings? Is it your siblings, parents, grandchildren, aunts and uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins? Are there family friends, good family friends who join you? In my family gatherings, in my growing up, we always defaulted to my Aunt Linda's house because it was a good-sized house that could hold 30, 35 people. And growing up, we did just about every Thanksgiving meal there, and every year there'd be the same family in attendance, immediate family related to me. And then there was those distant relatives that was like my uncle through marriage and his family I didn't know too well. But every year there was kind of a pecking order to how the meal would be served and where people would be seated. There were assigned seats. And at the head of the table would be my aunt and uncle as hosts, and then their siblings would be there, my parents, my aunt and uncles, and my grandma. But then there was this kind of down the room, there would be this intermediate table. It was kind of a breakfast table stuck in there next to the head table. And sort of the Adults of the family who maybe were a bit removed from the hosts would sit there. And then there was a third table at dinner, the last section for us kids, all the cousins, the kids' table. We sat at a card table that just came out for this occasion, or if my cousin was selling lemonade on the corner on a hot summer day, yes, the dreaded kids' table. And we sat in folded chairs that had little placemats that were made out of paper made by my younger cousins. And as a youngster, I hated the kids' table. It wasn't very nice. The table shook every time you tried to cut your food with, with a plastic knife. I mean, how can you cut your food into turkey with a plastic knife? You were elbow to elbow, paper plates, paper cups, plastic utensils. The adults, what did they have? They had silverware and real glass to drink out of. And every time someone got up, everyone's drinks spilled over all over the place, right? And every time it was my fault, somehow. But each year as I got older, I kept thinking to myself, Alan, you're not going to be at the kids' table very long. I mean, look at your older sister. She's in college, and she doesn't have to sit at the kids' table. She's in the intermediate table. At least she doesn't have to drink out of a paper cup. But each passing year through high school and college, I noticed something that somehow, some way, as I got older, I was still at the kids' table at family gatherings. How could this happen, I thought. I was still relegated to the, the card table that shook with spilled drinks and paper products and plastic utensils. I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. How am I still at the kids' table at dinner? How long does a grown man have to drink from a paper cup at Thanksgiving every year? Plastic forks and knives. And so I thought, for my, I thought to myself, what would I have to do? What would I have to say in order to get to the big table, the adult table, with adult conversation and adult plates and adult silverware? How could I move up the pecking order in my family? All I wanted to do growing up was to be at the adult table. I wanted to be closer to the head table at our family gatherings. But our reading today 
we find Jesus taking aim at one thing, self-importance. And he uses the gathering of a dinner, of a banquet, as a way to address the need for people to be at places of honor and instructs the host not to invite people important in life, but the average or below average people of the social scene. Now, it may come as a surprise to you, no matter if you've been reading the Bible for one day or 100 days or 100 years, but when Jesus goes to dinner, dinner gatherings, Jesus is a really awful dinner guest <laughs> because Jesus is often disrupting the status quo at dinner. In the gospel, we find Jesus praised the servant who washed his feet, but he condemns the host for not greeting him publicly. Jesus praises the questionable woman who anoints him with costly perfume at dinner. Jesus healed a sick outcast at the home of an important religious official, offending everyone there. Religious authorities questioned Jesus' non-adherence to complicated hand-washing customs and rituals that the elders participated in. Jesus was known and seen eating with who? Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, drunks, all the social outcasts. Jesus interrupted a meal to heal a man on the Sabbath, which was considered in the eyes of those attending dinner to be illegal. In the Gospels, Jesus likes to offend everyone. <laughs> Perhaps he may not enjoy it, but he feels the need to do it with blunt words that makes everyone uncomfortable about how these social table manners are skirting the real things, the real issues of life the love of neighbor and God. In our reading, Jesus provokes the guests of the dinner as they scramble to get the best seat. And I love how Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase describes that scene. Being closer to the host in antiquity as it does today translates sometimes into better social standing, being seen eating and drinking and hanging out with important people. Now, Jesus in the scene is watching the dinner guests vie for a better seat, and that just sends Jesus over the edge. And Jesus wants to let everyone know who's invited to the party that when you go to a party, don't take the best seat. Take, take the seat in the way back. That way you won't be embarrassed. And at this point in our gospel reading, the host is probably thinking about what Jesus just said and the commotion that just occurred. And the host is thinking, yeah, that a boy, Jesus, you get them, those sycophants. Give them what they have coming to them. And then this is probably the time when the host is thinking this, that Jesus says and turns to the host, and you, host, yes, I'm talking to you. Don't invite these people here. Invite the people who you don't want to be seen with. Yes, those outcasts, those people of low social standing. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want Jesus at my Labor Day block party. <laughs> He'd insult everyone. I think there's something in all of us that we long for being in places of importance. We long to be at the head table, the host table, at fundraisers or dinners or at work, in the boardroom, 
in our family, with our friends, in the community. So we read this story and think, is Jesus telling us that we should never, ever sit in the important seats at a dinner? Not long ago, one of our members was an honored guest at a large banquet here in Syracuse, and it was a it was a big fundraiser for our children's organization, and there were thousands of people attending this, this dinner, this fundraiser. And this church member was being honored for their work and generosity in the organization, many, many years of volunteering and generosity. And this event was attended by some pretty important big people. The former First Lady of the United States was there, celebrities, the mayor of Syracuse, the police chief, the chancellor of SU, the district attorney, congressman representing the district. If you were a big deal in Syracuse or central New York, you were at this head table. Now, I was a guest of the honoree, and I was assigned to sit next to the head table, right there in all the action. And it was exciting meeting and these people and shaking hands with these top people of this event being all around, all this focus around this head table. However, what if I took Jesus' words to heart while I was at this dinner? What if I took Luke 14 to heart? What if I strolled up on the stage and just grabbed the microphone and said, Hey, all you important people, yes, you, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Congressman, Mr. Chancellor, Mrs. First Lady, you, get to the back of the room. Yeah, that's right, stand up. I want you all to go back there to the kids' table, <laughs> the last table. Yeah, you know, the one with all the paper cups and plates. Yeah, you, you get back there. And all you kids back at the kids' table, I want you to come and sit at this head table here. I want you all to know what it's like to sit at such a big table at a big event. What if I said, let the, let the first be last and the last be first? How do you think that would go over? Not well, that's right. I think the headlines on Syracuse.com and local SYR would be, former first lady watches as local minister arrested at fundraiser. I think that's what the headline would be. I don't think I would be a pastor here anymore. So what do we do with this scripture from Luke chapter 14? Do we storm weddings and fundraisers and banquets and family gatherings demanding that we upend the social construct of seating at social events? If we want to look at the heart of what Jesus was doing here, upending social etiquette, we should really be looking at ourselves because that's what the focus is in this passage. You us, you and I. The word you, or derivative of it, is used some 13 times in this short passage. Yes, 13 times. When you are invited, when you are seated, when the host comes to you, your nose is in the air. Next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your family and friends. And here's the best statement in our text today. Are you ready for it? Because it's exquisite. That when you take Luke 14 seriously, 
and take the lowest seat when you invite the outcasts and those in the margins and those misfits in your family or in your neighborhood. Verse 13 from the message says this, you, you will experience a blessing. This scripture isn't for other people. It's for you today. It's for me today. A few years ago, on a cold, rainy Good Friday, youth and adults from our church went to the Brady Faith Center, one of our mission partners, to prepare and serve and eat with the homeless and the working poor of Syracuse. The Brady Faith Center ministers to impoverished and low-income individuals in Syracuse, and there was about 30 of us from our church, and some prepared a breakfast for the clients who would come and for us who were preparing the meal. And then there were some of us who were asked to ride our bikes, yes, to ride our bikes, because the Brady Faith Center has a ministry that fosters friendships and community through bike rides in the city. And on this day, we greatly outnumbered the clients or the regulars who utilized the services of the center. I think there was probably one or two people and probably about 10 or 12 of us. And I think probably there wasn't that many people that day because it was raining (laughs) really hard and it was cold. Who wants to go riding their bike on a cold, rainy day? Well, rain or shine, this bike ministry goes on. And that day I had my son Rowan with me, and we rode throughout Syracuse on this miserable, cold, Good Friday morning with one or two clients from the Brady Faith Center. And it was pretty miserable. (laughs) We didn't have any dry clothes for afterwards. But after the ride, there was a breakfast, as I mentioned, for the clients and the volunteers. And Rowan and I, we sat with people who didn't look like us or act like us or smell like us, or talk like us. And after it was all said and done, Rowan and I got back into my car, and he said to me, well, Dad, it was great to see a lot of people from our church, but, you know, there weren't a lot of people who rode with us. There weren't a lot of people from the city that showed up. And I thought about his observation for a while, and I said, Rowan, There weren't a lot of people to serve today. We probably rode with one or two and probably ate with a few more. But Rowan, for those small handful of people who did come, they know that there is a group of people in a church that cares about them enough to ride their bikes on a cold, rainy Good Friday morning and eat pancakes And sometimes, Rowan, that means more to people than we will ever know. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about what we can give to the people who show up. I think in life, we tend to have a transactional approach to relationships. That is, that we go to things or attend to things or serve in such a way where we think that we will immediately see a measurable, tangible benefit directly back to ourselves. We go to someone's party, they come to ours. We invite someone to our daughter's wedding and they do the same transactional. And I think in Luke chapter 14, 
this is what Jesus was getting at, was that our relationships with people are not transactionally based. Because Jesus wants to shatter this whole dynamic. In effect, Jesus says, invite others in who will not get a benefit that you want to receive for yourself, but that they will benefit in a way that you will never know. So we need to open our homes and our tables and our lives to those who we never expect anything to get in return. That Jesus was teaching that everyone, when we get down to the heart of it, has intrinsic worth. I really like what Shauna Nyquist, author of the book Cold Tangerine, celebrating the extraordinary nature of everyday life. It's the thought of the day in our bulletin. She wrote this, I choose to believe that there is nothing more sacred or profound than this day. I choose to believe that there may be a thousand big moments embedded in this day, waiting to be discovered like tiny shards of gold. The big moments are the daily, tiny moments of courage and forgiveness and hope that we grab on to and extend to one another. She goes on to write, that's the drama of life swirling all around us. And generally, I don't even see it because I'm too busy waiting to become whatever it is I think I am about to become. The big moments are in every hour, every conversation, every meal, every meeting. I think Shauna Nyquist is right because life happens in those small moments. We tend to think that life happens at those big moments, those big banquets in the boardroom, the important dinner tables, the important celebrations, the big public demonstrations of being honored. But Jesus was trying to teach us that life really happens on a much more micro scale. It happens on rainy Good Fridays in Syracuse, or in your backyard, or your garage, or at your dinner table, or at work when you share a lunch with that coworker who is alone, or that student in school who eats by themselves and you go and eat with them. That life is teeming at the back tables and the forsaken tables and the messy tables. I think what Jesus was trying to teach us was that life, real life, happens at the kids' table. That table that nobody wants to sit at at Thanksgiving. You know, now that I'm older, I don't have to sit at the kids' table anymore. <laughs> I have my own kids now, and they eat at the card table with paper plates and paper napkins. Now that I sit at the adult table at family gatherings, I've realized something. As I sat and longed for to be at the big adult table, it was kind of boring. And now I look at my son and my kids and my daughter, and I look at the kids' table and I think, wow, that looks like a lot of fun down there. 
Maybe I shouldn't have been so preoccupied about trying to get to the big table. Because what's happening right down there is really what's important to me right now. And I think life is happening at the kids' table all the time. Maybe not the literal kids' table, but the figurative kids' table of life. The table or the place that no one wants to be at, the kids' table of life that's the least of these. And Jesus says this. He says, you bless someone, whether you know it or not, when you humble yourself and sit down with that person on your street or that family member that nobody wants to talk to and they're embarrassed about, or that person who eats by themselves, or that person who needs encouragement. This Labor Day, you're having a cookout, a dinner with family. Invite that neighbor that no one talks to. Invite that misfit family member that no one wants to see. Call that friend up that you haven't heard from in a long time. God wants you to be a blessing this week to someone who needs to be blessed by your presence. I think Jesus was trying to teach those people at that banquet, at that party, that there's a holiness, there is a sacredness when we clothe ourselves with Christ and we humble ourselves and we go to the kids' table of life and interact with people to form friendships, to be able to offer love to someone who has probably not received love in a long time. That's how Jesus wants you to be a blessing today and this week. So may you, when you're sensing that you're being relegated to the kids' table of life, <laughs> the places that maybe aren't important, embrace them. Because those are the sacred moments that people need your presence, that you can be a blessing in ways that you'll never know. So may you be a blessing, and may you Bring the peace and love of Christ in such a way that you lift people up and they give thanks for what God has done through you. Let us pray. God, it's so easy, so desirable to want to be at all the important places in life. And we read the scripture and we think, well, you know, Jesus isn't talking about me. He's talking about someone else. But God, help us gain the sense that Jesus is talking about me. <laughs> that God, I, all of us, need to be a blessing to someone else. That we're not called to wait for someone else to be a blessing. That we are called to be a blessing right now to the people on the wrong side of the tracks. At those dinners, those social interactions, at work, in our neighborhood. When God, it's just so easy to not have an agenda and just be. God, help us this week see that it is in those tiny moments of life that are sacred moments when we clothe ourselves with your presence and we put on that clothing of Christ of love and grace and mercy 
that, God, we offer that and expect nothing in return. God, you have called us and you have enabled us to be the blessors of life. So, Lord, may we go and may we bless others with our time and our presence or a simple meal. God, give us the courage this week in our life moving forward to be that blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.